If you'll turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 15 and 16 today. And as you turn there, just uh, another note about praying for David and Adrian Vincent. They've begun to put together a uh, a prayer list, an email list of folks they can send prayer updates to. And so uh, we have a sign-up list just outside in the foyer there on the welcome desk. And so we passed some of those around um, some of our Sunday school classes this morning. But if you didn't have a chance to sign up, if you'll just put your name and email address on there, uh, we'll forward all that information on David and Adrian. And then they'll be updating us on a regular basis and updating you through email on ways that you can uh, be praying for them uh, specifically as they prepare to go and as they soon go to the Middle East and ministry there. Uh, So if you would uh, do that and pray for them. Uh, As we come now to Galatians 2 and we talk about partnerships in the gospel, uh, we see a very clear example here of a partnership in the gospel. Uh, Paul had gone to Galatia, he had shared the gospel, he planted a church there, that church had, had grown, but after he had left, some others had come in and had twisted and tainted that gospel, they taught a false gospel, uh, the Judaizers, these were Jewish Christians who were teaching the Galatians, the Gentile Christians, that in order to be saved, uh, they needed to have faith in Jesus, but they also needed to adhere to a lot of Old Testament laws and, and covenant regulations, and so Paul was writing to correct those things Uh, along the way we looked last lord's day about paul uh, how paul was sharing with them about how uh, it's easy uh, to take a stand for the gospel but not walk in the gospel it's easy to be a hypocrite uh, to say one thing and do another and so he actually had to confront peter for doing that very thing Uh, peter had come to antioch at one point he had eaten uh, with gentile christians there but then the jewish christians showed up and he pulled away from eating with them acted very hypocritically and so paul has shared how he's addressed that with peter and now we pick up in verse 15 uh, where paul i think is really just giving a summary here probably of what he talked to peter about but more importantly uh, a summary of the gospel Uh, helping the Galatians to understand very firmly, very clearly, what the gospel is all about. Specifically, how it is that sinful people can be made right with a holy God. And so we're going to look at verses 15 and 16 this Lord's Day, and then we'll pick back up in this discussion next Lord's Day, as both weeks we'll be talking about this issue of what it means to be justified by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And so today we'll just look at these two verses and out of reverence for God's Word, if you're able to, if you would stand together as I read God's Word for us this Lord's Day. This is what the Apostle Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God's Word to us is this. We ourselves, Paul says, are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. You would pray with me. Father, as we read Your Word this morning, We were reminded yet again that the only way we can be made right with you is through our faith in Jesus Christ. And yet there is a world around us that tells us there are other ways to be made right with you. There are churches all around us that tell us there are other ways to be made right with you. Our own sinful nature tells us there must be other ways to be made right with you. 
Father, our gravitational pull so often is to depend on our works to try to earn our merit. And yet we see very clearly in your word today, it is only, only through faith in Christ alone that we might be justified and might be saved. So would you help, Lord, through the power of your spirit, would you help to ingrain this truth in our hearts and minds today? We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. This last fall, we celebrated a, a significant event in Protestant history. The 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation took place in the 16th century during a time when, when the church had, church had lost its way. Uh, when the church had really pulled away from biblical teachings, when uh, people who came to church and attended church and were a part of the church were encouraged not to read God's Word for themselves, just to trust in the priest and in the interpretation the priest offered of the Word, often in a language that they could not understand. And during that time, God raised up a German monk named Martin Luther, and along with others, they had a call back to biblical fidelity, a call back to the purity and the simplicity of Scripture and what it teaches in regards to the faith. A justification by faith in Christ alone was the battle cry of the Reformation. Sola fide, by faith alone. Now, the church in that day desperately needed to hear that battle cry. And friends, the church today desperately needs to hear it because we, like those before us, have easily lost our way. Just as we've been studying in the book of Galatians how the gospel has been confused, how there's false teachers and false gospels, we live in a day and an age when there are many false teachers and false gospels. And many times in churches just around the corner, many people who will say something that sounds good on the surface, yeah, trust in Jesus, believe in Jesus, but then they will begin to add to what Christ said. They'll begin to take away from what Christ said, they will offer a false gospel. And the way that we need to counter their false teaching is exactly the way that Paul was countering the false teachings that the Galatians had endured. By looking to the truth in the Scripture of what it truly means to be saved. What it truly means to be made right with God. And that centers on the foundation of this doctrine of justification. Justification by faith in Christ alone. And so that is where we will camp out today and next Lord's Day because this is a critical doctrine for us to understand. Now, the Reformers understood it. Martin Luther said this of justification. He said, every week I preach justification by faith to my people because every week they forget it. Now we're reminded that this is an important doctrine not just to hear once, but we need to hear it over and over and over again because the world around us and the sinful nature within us cries out against it. John Calvin said it this way, justification by faith is the hinge on which all true religion turns. And in more recent years, Dr. Albert Moeller, the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary just up the road in Louisville, said it this way, Justification by faith alone is not one doctrine among others. It is the gospel. And so today I want to look at not just an important doctrine, I want us to look at this gospel. This gospel that, that Paul proclaimed to the Galatians. This gospel that Paul reminded Peter of. 
Just last Lord's Day, we looked at verses 11 through 14 there, and we don't know from the original language where Paul's address to Peter ends and then where this other teaching begins. Some Bible translators take it to mean that it goes all the way down to verse 21, that all of the rest of chapter 2 is Paul's address to Peter. Others say, no, it probably ends there at 14, and then he picks up kind of on a, on a summary, a theological summary of what he was teaching Peter. Regardless of where you fall on that and how we understand those things, what's important to recognize is what Paul gives us in these two verses, in verses 15 and 16, that they they capture the heart and the soul of the Christian faith. These are two of the most important verses for us today because they bring before us, in summary, this significant, this critical doctrine of understanding How can we be made right with God? Because that's the question, isn't it? That's the question that I hear in funeral homes. That's the question I hear on Sunday mornings in conversations. That's the question that I hear in my office and pastoral council. This question of how, at the end of the day, can I be made right with God? Well, friends, the answer to that question is, The doctrine of justification. What does it mean to be right with God? And so we're going to look at this issue in particular by looking at a series of questions that I think the text very clearly answers for us. And we'll begin with the first one there in your outline. And it's important to start with this one. What is justification? (laughs) I've mentioned this word several times already, but what does it mean to be justified? What is biblical justification? Well, justification... And its original use there in the Greek was a forensic term. Uh, It was the term that would be applied to a judge's declaration of an accused person as not guilty. And so in a trial setting, there would be someone who was falsely accused, wrongly accused, and the judge would justify them by declaring they were not guilty. It was the exact opposite of finding the accused guilty. And so justification was to be declared right. And so you might think of it in that context, uh, uh, maybe some of the, the old uh, uh, crime uh, dramas, TV shows that, that were on for years. This, this might date me a little bit, but I remember as a child watching reruns of Perry Mason. Anybody remember Perry Mason? Some of y'all are a lot older than me, so surely you remember Perry Mason. Uh, yeah, so Perry Mason was the, the criminal defense attorney, and if you remember that show, apparently he was a pretty good one uh, because everybody he ever defended uh, was not guilty, and uh, he always got it found that way. But there was always that part at the, at the end of the TV show where you know, someone's falsely accused and, and he always figures things out and there's always a twist and a turn and, and there's always that moment there in the courtroom where he reveals this, this secret evidence and everybody realizes they were falsely accused. And then the judge gives that verdict. Not guilty. That they were justified. Now, here's what we need to understand. That's not what Paul is talking about here. Because Paul is not saying to the Galatians, the Spirit of God is not saying to us today that you and I have been falsely accused. The Scripture is not presenting this argument that all of humanity, well, we're just not that bad. Well, we're actually pretty good. And God's going to declare us not guilty because we really haven't done anything wrong. Now, the biblical doctrine of justification is this. You and I are guilty. Every person in this room is guilty of something. 
Don't worry, not going to have an open confession time right now. But what if we did? I've said it before, what if we could broadcast our thoughts? <laughs> what if every person in your life could know everything that's gone through your mind in the last year, the last month, the last 24 hours, the last 10 minutes? <laughs> See, we, we start to recognize a bit of our own sinful nature when we start to think about those things that go through our mind. Maybe things we, we would prayerfully, hopefully never even act on, but, but just those, those dark thoughts, those wicked things at times. You know, this is how Jesus really elevated the law to help people see how the law was showing us what sinners we are. And so, and for example, the Sermon on the Mount there, as people were walking around feeling pretty good about themselves, well, I've never murdered anybody. Jesus said, well, have you ever called them a fool? Because if you have, then you're liable of hell. That Then in your mind, you've killed a person. So when we start thinking all these things that go through our mind, we start to realize, oh yes, we, we are not as good as we think we are. The doctrine of justification is one then that says, we who are guilty can be found innocent. But how does that take place? Well, let me tell you how it doesn't take place. God doesn't look down at sinful humanity and say, let me just wipe the slate clean. God doesn't give us a do-over. God doesn't say, well, you know, I know you've messed up, but you've also tried really hard, so I'm just going to forget all these things ever happened. No, what God does, because He is a just God, as He pours out the due penalty for our sin on Jesus Christ on the cross, and so what the doctrine of justification then teaches us is that the way sinful people are declared right and righteous before a holy God is through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. One commentator says it this way, justification then is the free and gracious act by which God declares a sinner right with Himself, forgiving, pardoning, restoring and accepting Him on the basis of nothing but trust in the person and work of His Son, Jesus Christ. Another says it this way, justification is the truly dramatic transition from the status of a condemned criminal awaiting a terrible sentence to that of an heir awaiting a fabulous inheritance. That's the courtroom picture for you. Here stands the condemned, the guilty. That there's no doubt about it. They are deserving of punishment. And justification is God takes that punishment and He places it on His Son on their behalf so that they can move from being a condemned criminal, deserving judgment, to being an heir with Christ and a child of God. And friends, that's exactly what happens every single time any one of us is saved. God places our guilt on Christ and He places His Christ's righteousness on us. And so how does that happen? That's the question. How can we be saved? That's the question that so many people ask in one way or another. They may not know that terminology, you know. A lot of people in our culture today use the word save. They think of a coupon. They, they don't know what that word means. But, but they understand when you start talking about being right with God, getting into heaven. These are questions on the hearts of so many people around us. 
Maybe more so than we even recognize. I was watching a, a panel discussion one evening on television a number of years ago, and on this panel there were a number of uh, very popular celebrities, and, and also on this panel there happened to be a, a Christian, a, a Christian author, a young man who went on to actually be a, a pastor and a missionary. And they were talking about all kinds of different issues, but, but then this, this issue of salvation came up. And so you've got you know, three or four very worldly, very you know, blatantly non-believing people, and then you've got this one professing believer. And so, of course, this, this conversation kind of shifted where they're all looking at that person. And then I remember this, this one very famous celebrity looked at this young man and said, here, let's just boil it all down. What do I need to do to get in? How do I get my ticket punched? Listen, I got all kinds of stuff. I got all kinds of money. I got all kinds of power. What do I need to do to get in? It's not the first time that question's been asked, is it? <laughs> you think of the rich young ruler who approaches Jesus. says very much the same thing to Jesus. What good deed must I do to get into heaven? And maybe you haven't asked it that clearly but but that's the question for all of us isn't it at the end of the day what what needs to be done what what do i need to do in order to have eternal life well see that's what justification teaches us that's why this doctrine is so important that's why this is gospel because justification by faith in jesus christ alone is what needs to take place and so Paul now addresses this issue with the Galatians by answering some questions that I'll pose to you this morning. Continuing there with point two. Is justification then a result of who we are and what we have done? Now you can probably guess the answer to that question. No, it's not. But Paul is essentially asking this question to the Galatians there in verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth, he says, and not Gentile sinners. Paul is essentially saying, listen, we are the ones who if anybody deserved eternal life, it would be us. We are Jews by birth. The Jewish people in Paul's day, they held tight to that birthright. They were children of Abraham. They were deserving because they were part of God's people. And so this is an issue that the Gospels confront head on. For example, you see John the Baptist dealing with this issue with the Pharisees. Uh, there in Matthew chapter 3, we read that um, when, when he, John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Now what's happening here? Well, here you have the religious leaders of the day. Now here you have the Pharisees. You have the ones who, who, who prided themselves on adherence to the old covenant law. That they adorned themselves in such a way to say, I am righteous and you are not. And here they hear of this, this beast of a man. <laughs> one who doesn't adorn himself in their ways. One that doesn't talk like them, one that doesn't act like them, and yet he's the one down at the river baptizing people? Well, this piques their curiosity. And they go down to see what's taking place, and then this beast of a man looks to them and says, you're a snake. <laughs> now, we know what the Scripture says about snakes. If you've got a pet snake, 
get rid of it. Crush its head. That's biblical. If you got a pet snake, we hope you'll come forward this morning. It's weird. But we don't like snakes. Why? Because we go back to the garden and what do we see? Well, we see the enemy there. And so when, when John says to the Pharisees, you brood of vipers, he is saying to them, you sons of the devil. <laughs> well, that doesn't sit real well. But listen to what John says. He knows exactly where they're going to go when he calls them to repentance. He says, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. See, John knows exactly what's going on in their minds. They're thinking that their righteousness is because of who they are. Because of who they are related to. Because of who their fathers and their mothers and their grandfathers were. Because they are Jewish by blood. They are thinking they are special. This is what the Jewish people thought. Not only that, they thought that if they did the right things and avoided the wrong things, they would be okay. Jesus confronts this. Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a very familiar parable and the Scripture says, here's the reason He told it. Luke 18 verse 9, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And so Jesus looks at them just like John the Baptist and sees they are trusting in their own works and their own merit, believing they are righteous based on what they are doing and what they are not doing. And then he tells that familiar story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And you know the story. Jesus tells the account that there in prayer is a Pharisee and tax collector. And the tax collector is repentant. The tax collector is crying out for mercy. The tax collector is not pleading his case or what he's done so good. He's just broken before God. That's not the Pharisee. The Pharisee starts to talk about the things he's done and the things he's not done and thanks God that he's not like people like this tax collector. He's trusting in himself. And Jesus says this, I tell you, this man, speaking of the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. He, he was made right with God through his repentance. Not this one who trusted in himself for righteousness. And so the picture we get in the Scriptures that so many of the Jewish people, they were trusting in who their parents were, what their family line was, what their bloodline was, and they were trusting in what they did and what they didn't do in order to be made righteous before God. And friends, I think that's exactly what so many people are trusting in today. I've had conversation after conversation with people in our community, inviting them to our church. Many who at one time came to this church, some who are still in the membership roles of this church. And in some way or another, what I'll often hear back is this shift in the conversation where someone will say to me, well, Pastor, I don't know if you know this or not, but you know, my granddaddy, he was a deacon in that church. <laughs> I don't know if you know who my parents were or my great-grandparents were. Actually, I can trace it all the way back. You know, so-and-so and my family, they were actually a, a charter member of this church over here. But why do people say that? Because something deep down in them thinks that somehow that's going to help them out. <laughs> or you might hear it this way. I've been at a number of funerals and, and, and spent time with people who were standing there mourning the loss of loved ones, 
And, and so often, I'll hear somebody say something along the lines of, you know, Pastor, they, they were such a, a godly man, godly woman. I hope they're putting in a good word for me. Hear me, friend. There's only one word for you in heaven that counts. And that's the word of Jesus Christ. That there is only one advocate that we have in heaven and on earth. And that is Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter who your mama and your daddy were. It doesn't matter how many people up the line you can trace your Baptist heritage to. The question this morning is about you. The faith of someone else is not your faith. The faith of someone else will not be counted to you. The question is about you this morning. Have you been made right before God? And if your answer to that question then has something to do with, well, I've done this or I've not done this, then that's just like saying, I hope they put in a good word for me. These are the issues that Paul is confronting. It's not about who you are and who you're related to, and it's certainly not about what you've done and what you haven't done. And yet again, we default there so much, don't we? I've mentioned time and time again that question I'll ask people. If you were to stand before God, and God said, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And that familiar answer, I've never killed anyone. <laughs> Which, it's good to go to Matthew 5 then. <laughs> Jesus says, Scripture says, do not murder, but if you call somebody a fool, you've, you've killed them in your heart. I'll go ahead and do it. Let's have a show of hands this morning. How many people in this room have ever called or thought about calling someone a fool? But we failed that one, didn't we? <laughs> Listen, friends, this, this isn't about your good outweighing your bad. That, that, that picture, that, that illustration actually comes from entirely different systems of faith. It's not found in the Scripture. That The Scripture says that there's only one weight on the scale that matters. And it's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. There's only one work on the scale that matters. And it is the righteous work of Jesus Christ. And the grace of God is that He, he applies that righteousness to us when we repent and have faith. But if we are determined to believe, if our good outweighs our bad, yeah, if I've never done this, if I'm better than these folks, I'll be okay. Then, friends, the, just, the, the doctrine of justification by faith in Christ alone is lost on us because we don't understand the gospel. No one will be declared righteous based on who they are and what they've done. The only justification that comes is a result of who Christ is and what He has done. Which brings us to that next question, number three. Is justification then a result of who Christ is and what He has done? And the answer is absolutely yes. That's where Paul takes us in verse 16. He says, yet, yet we know that our person is not justified by works, as if he hadn't said it enough already. <laughs> he says it again. They're, they're not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ. By faith in Jesus Christ. They are justified. And he uses the verb of that Greek word justification three times in verse 16. It, it means they are declared righteous. And he makes it very clear here. 
No one is made righteous by works of the law. In fact, what Paul teaches us, what the Scripture tells us, is that works of the law actually condemn us. So, so our works and the law, that they don't save us. And they remind us of how lost we are. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Well, what does that mean? Well, Paul goes on to talk about it. Romans 7. What should we say then? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would have not known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Paul says, listen, the way I know that I'm a sinner is because the law shows it to me. So, modern illustration. Probably heard me say this one a few times. You're driving down the road. You're not sure what the speed limit is. It sure feels like it should be 55. <laughs> so if it feels like it should be 55, you go 64 or 2, depending on how sanctified you are. Because you know there's that, 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 that limit we look for, isn't there? How close to the edge can I get? Well, let's say that you're, you know, you're, you're much more spiritual than, than some of us and you're actually going 55 and the 55 and then you realize it's not 55. <laughs> and you come upon that sign that says 35. Which pedal do you hit? And for many of us, we hit the brake not because of this deep burden to be law abiders, we hit the brake because we don't want to see blue lights. <laughs> we, we don't want to necessarily not be transgressors of the law, but we don't want to be caught as transgressors of the law. But, but what does that sign do? What does that 3-5, two, two numbers on a white sign, but what does it do? It helps us to see that what we are doing is wrong. It is the law that reveals the sin. That is what God's Word does. That's what the law does for us. You're feeling pretty good about yourself. Well, well I'm better than most people. I'm a pretty good guy. And then you read what Jesus says about the law. Well, I've never done this. Well, have you done this? Well, yeah, I've done that. Well, then you've done this. <laughs> and Paul says that the, the law, the Scripture, it's, it's a mirror that helps us to see our sin. Pastor John MacArthur said it this way, the law is important as a mirror to show us our sinfulness. But it can only reveal sin. It can never remove it. And so God's Word is that, that mirror that helps us to see we're, we're not going to be justified by works of the law. If anything, that those works of the law, that, that Word, it helps us to see that we are sinners. And so then Paul says, listen, we're not justified that way. We're justified through faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, do you know what that means this morning? Faith in Jesus Christ is not just intellectually understanding the Gospel. Faith in Jesus Christ isn't simply saying, I understand and, and, and I, I agree with the Gospel. Faith in Jesus Christ is when we commit our entire life to the Gospel. And anything that's in our life that will entangle us or hinder us, any hint of sin, any suggestion of it, we are more concerned with pleasing God than we are pleasing man and pleasing ourselves. And we are willing 
to leave everything behind in order to commit ourselves to Christ. That is what it means to trust in, to have justification through faith in Jesus alone. See, the Judaizers in Paul's day, the Judaizers who had come in and plagued the church there in Galatia, they, they weren't speaking out against faith in Christ. They were speaking out against faith in Christ alone. And friends, that's the exact same thing many churches do today. That there are priests and preachers who will get behind lecterns and pulpits today and they will tell you, oh, you need to have your faith in Jesus, but you also need to have charity and love and works and benevolence. If you want to have salvation, you must do these things. What we see here in the Scriptures, anything we add to the Gospel takes away from the Gospel. Anything we add to grace takes away from grace. One pastor said it this way, all claims that salvation is through belief in Jesus Christ plus something else are blasphemous, satanic lies. There can be no effective or acceptable human addition to Christ's work. This passage is as forceful and unequivocal a statement of the doctrine of salvation by faith alone as can be found in Scripture. The clear argument from Scripture is that justification, being made right with God, is through faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And if you're holding on to anything else today, let go and repent and truly come to Christ. Which brings us to this last question, point four. So understanding all these things then, are we trusting in Christ alone for justification? Paul continues in verse 16 to say this, So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. He's saying again, it's not enough just to know the way. We have to put our faith in Christ. He says this word, believed. In the Greek, that word means not just to understand something, but to commit yourself to it. It's the same word Paul uses in Romans chapter 10 where he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Friends, have you made that confession? I'm not asking you if you agree with the Gospel, if you deep down believe in the Gospel, but but have you committed your life to Christ? Are you confident that one day when you stand before the throne of God that your plea will not be a set of scales? It will not be an argument over how your good outweighed your bad? Are you confident that you've placed your full trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone? And do you stand firm in that confidence today? And friend, if you don't, the call from Scripture, the call from Galatians 2 is to repent and to trust in Christ. Because that day is coming for every one of us. I don't know the day or the hour, but I am confident of this. One day I will stand in judgment. And one day you will as well. 
What will be your plea? Friends, that's really the only question that counts. <laughs> I know there's a lot of other questions on our hearts and minds this morning. <laughs> I know it's so easy to get bombarded by the, this season of life. You've got young kids, you know, trying to figure out school supply lists and work demands and checking accounts and bills to be paid. I know there's so many things in our life, so many questions, so many day-to-day things that just run in and out of our minds constantly. But friend, this is a moment to stop and consider a question that is so much more important than all of those. What will be your plea? I hope what will be helpful to us is a hymn that we're about to sing along these lines. Uh, It was written in 1841 by a young lady from Bloomfield, different Bloomfield, (laughs) Bloomfield in Dublin, Ireland. This young lady named Charity Lees Bancroft was the daughter of a minister, and if her hymn is any reflection of his sermons, he was a very good one. And he taught his daughter what it meant to be justified through faith in Christ and in Christ alone. That the hymn that we're about to sing is before the throne of God above, but originally it had one word as a title, and that word was advocate. <laughs> it was just about how Christ is our advocate. We are justified through Him and Him alone. And so before we sing it, I just want to read these words and pray that they might penetrate our hearts. And this is what we're going to sing. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see Him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. Behold Him there, the risen Lamb, My perfect spotless righteousness. The great unchangeable I am. The King of glory and of grace. One with Himself I cannot die. My soul is purchased by His blood. My life is hid with Christ on high. With Christ my Savior and my God. Friends, if that is not the confession of your heart this morning, it can be. The Scripture simply says this. It says, if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe, commit in your heart to Him to understand that God raised Him from the dead, that that He counted your sin on Him and He will count His righteousness on you. If you will turn from your sin and trust in Christ, this can be the song of your soul today. This can be the confession of your heart today. And so I'm going to pray for us and then invite us To sing this, if you would stand together as we go into this time of response.
Father, there is undoubtedly a powerful force at work among us. Our sinful flesh cries out against the gospel. Our sinful world cries out against the gospel. It takes a miraculous, supernatural movement of Your Holy Spirit to help the blinders come off our eyes that we might see the true sinful and wicked condition of our hearts and then might cry out to Jesus Christ as Lord. And so, Father, we ask that You would do that work now. God, if there is anything that has been holding someone back from calling out to Jesus as Lord, would You remove that now? Lord, would You work in our hearts today? There are some here, Father, who made that confession, who have repented and trusted in You, but Lord, perhaps they're not finishing the race the way they started. Perhaps they begin to depend more and more on their works and their merits. Perhaps some of the things that we've looked at in the Word today are, are reminders of their flawed logic and flawed thinking. And maybe they're thinking that the Gospel plus something is going to save them. Lord, would You help them to repent of whatever that is. And Lord, would You help us to all cry out and sing this song from our hearts, recognizing that one day we will stand before their throne. Lord, may this hymn that we sing be our plea that we are justified through faith in Christ, in Christ alone. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.